You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. This episode is supported by FX's Dear Mama, the saga of Afeni and Tupac Shakur. From award-winning director Alan Hughes, this deeply personal five-part docuseries shares an illuminating saga of mother and son. She was a revolutionary, intellect, and leader in the Black Panther Party. He was a rapper and political visionary who became known as one of the greatest rap artists of all time. FX's Dear Mama, all new Fridays on FX. Stream on Hulu. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to Dear Culture, the podcast for buying about black culture here at the Grill Black Podcast Network. I'm your host, Panama Jackson, and today is a very special episode for me. I have the pleasure of having one of my favorite hip-hop groups of all time uh, on the show that I get an opportunity to speak with. We're celebrating 50 years of hip-hop and all my, all year long, really, at the Grio. We're going to be doing various shows about hip-hop conversations and stuff like that. But today, the group that we have, which is Little Brother, Big Pooh and Fonte, if you listen to this podcast, you already know them. So I don't even have to go through the whole Questlove Supreme style uh, introduction. Little Brother, like I said, one of my favorite groups, celebrating 20 years of a landmark hip-hop album, which a lot of groups don't get to say that they have in the listening. Let me welcome everybody to, to Fonte and Big Pooh. How y'all brothers doing? Good, man. We're good. How you doing? Man, I'm making it. I'm excited. Like, I'm really, I'm really happy to have you all here. Uh, First off, how y'all doing? Y'all all right? (laughs) It's been a little Um, rocky road. (laughs) We had our tour this past month, and um, we just, um, the first leg, I caught COVID, and then on the second leg, Pooh caught COVID. So it was just, uh, it was a rough time, but, you know, but we sold out all four of those shows, um, and we did it. On our own, you know, our people, our team, you know what I'm saying? And, and we made it, you know, successful. So how does that feel? Like, to be still selling out, like, the shows that you all put on the table for people? Because y'all put on a great show, y'all always have. But what's it like even 20 years into this? It's unmatched, man. It's one of them things where, at this point in our careers, touring is probably one of, well, I know for Tay, it's probably the least favorite thing he liked to do. <laughs> it's not the least favorite thing for me, but it ain't. It ain't at the top of the the favorite either. <laughs> right, uh, right. But I'm grateful because it's a lot of cats that can't do what we have the ability to do. So let's talk a bit about your career. And I want to I kind of want to go back to I know this is not where it all started, but when the listening comes out in February of, of, of 2003, it always reminded me of this. Kanye West kind of branded the college thing like the, but you know that really wasn't his lane whereas you all I literally felt were the cats who were rapping for people like me the actual college graduates y'all had the the metaphors I understood y'all had the places I understood did you all realize what you were making when you like got started or where you all could be 20 years later absolutely not um I, I can just you know speaking for me one of my biggest lessons over the course of our career, me and Pooh talk about this all the time, is just, you know, kind of your, you know, influence versus your impact. You know what I'm saying? Like, in the sense that we didn't realize, because we didn't sell a lot of records, you know what I'm saying? Um, we just thought that, okay, well, 
you know, the people who know about us or the people who know about us. And we're just kind of this little cult kind of group or this little cult band. And we have our small following and, and that's just what it is. Um, we didn't understand that. Yeah. The people who we have or our fans are listening to us, but there's a whole other group of people behind the scenes, you know, actors, other rappers, ball players, um, other, you know, label executives, just people who were fans of music that really were listening to our stuff, but weren't very vocal about it, you know, weren't really bigging us up and saying, ah, oh, man, Little Brother's my favorite group. Um, but, you know, but we would be out, you know, we'd be on tour and, you know, we'd meet somebody and they'd be like, oh, Little Brother, oh, I love y'all. And it would just be someone that just it's like, dude, we didn't even think you knew who we were. You know what I mean? Um, so that was one of the biggest lessons I learned of, of just um, how you can make something in a very insular way. Um, but the impact of it goes far beyond anything that you could imagine. And that's been one of the biggest lessons for me and Little Brother. Y'all been stamped by literally everybody. Y'all have worked with every possible folks from Drake have cited y'all as influences. And I saw the Doja Cat thing. Whatever you say, one of my favorite records of all. I remember the first time I met Ninth Wonder, I actually was like, bro, what is the sample? This is before Who Sampled and all them things come. I was like, I need to know the sample, dog. I need it. Like, I need that in my life. Y'all worked with TDE. Every producer I've ever loved and cared about in hip hop is like, yo, little brother, right? The Questlove stamp, you know, and, you know, obviously, Fonte, you work with Questlove on the Questlove Supreme podcast, which... I probably shouldn't say that on my own. It's my fa my favorite podcast, far and away. <laughs> um, that impact versus influence thing is is significant in that I genuinely feel like y'all are one of the most influential groups. There are a lot of groups in hip hop who will never be remembered. Y'all will never be forgotten. Like, do y'all ever sit back and reflect on that part of it? Like, y'all literally cemented a spot in a in a genre of music in hip hop that will never be forgotten. Every now and again, you you have the moments where you like damn, you know, look what we did or look at the impact, you know, that, that we've had. Um, but you know, like even when we, when I saw they had put our name up, um, at the Grammys when they was doing the 50 year of hip hop and they had our name and it was front and center. Like that was, that was one of the moments where I was like, Oh, sense wow. of work. Like it was definitely one of the moments. It was just like, I expect us to always have quality. I expect excellence, but it's still unexpected when people or, or when you step back and start seeing the high regard we're held in, not that we don't deserve it. It's just I've been so busy doing the work. I don't take a lot of time to, you know, sit back and acknowledge the work. It's hard to be in the moment. It's it's really hard to stay in the moment sometimes, uh, particularly when you're, um, I think um, when you have the path that we have and that we, we charted our own course and we largely have been independent. Um, and, you know, that was something that I just saw just in my years of just going through record labels where it was like um, every label that we put a record out on, if it was indie, major, you know, big label, little label, um, the work was always ours, you know what I'm saying? None of those labels really made the work of us as artists, you know, any easier. And so, um, for me, I just saw that in order for me to have any kind of success, um, financial success, uh, uh, as an artist, I was going to have to take my career into my own hands. And, uh, 
when you operate from that perspective, it makes it even harder, I think, to uh, kind of sit and, and, and receive those flowers because you're not only thinking about your next move artistically, you also have to think about your next move financially because it's your money. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you feel me? So it's like, I right, I always got to think about, all right, what's my next step? And you always have to be kind of, you know, three, four, five moves ahead and have to kind of forecast as best you can what the landscape is um, because it's your livelihood. All of these shows in many ways, but particularly that New York show, it very much felt like a reunion. Um, you know, there were people just as we celebrating 20 years in the game, you know, there were people in that crowd who've been pulling up on us for 20 years, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, there are people that, you know, we've seen, you know, there's people we've lost, you know, fans that we've lost, like long diehard fans that we've lost. Um, there's been, you know, fans we've seen go through divorces. I, I talk about it in the show, you know, we didn't seen cats go through divorces. We've not seen people, you know, lose kids, you know what I'm saying? Like we've really uh, lived a life together and have grown up together. And um, I think that's something that um, you just, I think it's rare that you get to see in hip hop. I think that's something that is rarely allowed in hip hop, just the space to grow older in it and to mature in it and to have life experiences as a 40, 50 year old person, um, but still be a fan of the music and still love the culture. And I think now as we celebrate 50 years of hip hop, I think now we're just now getting to that space where we're able to have those conversations and figure out what aging and what maturity in hip hop looks like and what that crowd looks like. Um, but uh, New York for me was very much a, a reminder of that. Yeah, that's real. All right, we're gonna take a real quick break here. We're gonna come back and I kind of want to talk about that maturity in hip hop here on Dear Culture. All right, we're back here on Dear Culture and I'm still here with Little Brother, one of my favorite hip hop groups. And we're talking about the listening, the album, uh, celebrating his 20 years. But Fonte, you kind of closed the last segment talking about like maturity and hip hop and growth. Which is interesting because you all have stepped into that lane full scale, right? I know um, I remember when May the Lord Watch comes out, like the topics are different, right? Like it's a it's grown man rap, you know what I'm saying? Charity starts at home. Like those al like those albums are grown. And I remember all the conversations that I was seeing would be like, y'all hear what they talk about. They talk about our lives, like the lives of like those of us who are a little bit older now. Like when you walk into a project, like what's your thought? Like, you know what? It's time to grow up on this record. Like we hip hop, we we're mature, we're grown. Let's go ahead and give them mature content and hope they ride with us. Like, is that hope there, or is it like you just know your fans that well? Um, I I think we always just we always just talked about where we were in life. Um, and and that was just what we did. Like it wasn't a let's be grown this album. It's, as our perspective changes, so does the our perspective change. in the music change. Yeah. You know, um, you know me, I can't still. I mean, I could, but I can't <laughs> go right here talking about still trying to holler at women. Like I got a wife, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. you're not, we're not writing whatever you say in 2023. Like that just is not, yeah. you know. No, it's it's, it's it yeah. go from whatever you say to Good Morning Sunshine. Like <laughs> right, it's right. It, as your perspective changes, so should your your rhymes. You know, the words that you write, um, they should reflect that. You know, and that's how you know we feel. So. That's all we've done is through each stage of life as we've recorded, we recorded that stage of life we were in. And it's we always knew it's more people like us than it isn't. 
So even though you may gravitate to other things for escapism or the fantasy or the romanticism of these other things you flock to, at the end of the day, you're like us. And it and and it's so many people out there that feel like we're voicing parts of their life. It, it, and they're like they'll come up to us and be like, "Yo, man, when you talk about X, Y, and Z, I, that's what I'm going through." And now I'm able to play this song for people who I couldn't explain it for because that's the phase of life they're in. And so our audience, like Tay said, it's been 20 years. Like we've grown together. For me, it was just always a thing where I just felt that art was supposed to make people feel less alone in the world. You know what I'm saying? Um, one of my teachers, my English teachers in, in high school would always say, you know, you you make the personal universal. Um, you know what I'm saying? The the more that you write about something, like, like I've never been inspired by an inspirational song ever in my life. Like, <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? Like any yeah. song that was written with the specific purpose of, this is just the all-encompassing inspirational song to make you feel good like no i i hate those songs you know what i mean but you know you give me that song about you know that that one guy just talking about that one girl that broke his heart or uh that girl writing a song about you know that that guy that broke her heart or just uh somebody talking about something that's very specific losing a parent you know what i'm saying um Ghostface's verse on Impossible, just for example, where he talks about, you know, losing somebody. He pointed to the charm on his neck with his last bit of energy left. Told me rock it with respect. I opened this scene, the girl holding his kids, photogenic tears just burst out my wig. Things like that, that are just so personal um, that it just taps to a universal feeling inside you. You know, that feel, even even if you've never actually been through, you know, the, the pain of watching somebody bleed out and die in front of you. Um, you still listen to that verse and you understand how it connects to you because it's talking about loss and grief. Do y'all ever go back and listen to the listening? Do y'all like ever just like sit back and just like listen to it at this point? I actually did go through the listening sessions maybe like a few months ago and just pulling up all the old multi-tracks and listen to our voices, listen to all the sounds in the background. Um, yeah, I, I listen to it now not like as enjoyment, like just, okay, I'm riding in my car and I'm gonna put on the listening. Like, that's just not gonna happen. Uh, <laughs> I listen to it now more as almost, uh, uh, yeah, almost kind of just like as an anthropologist in some way, like let's listen to it as a historical document. You know time I mean? caps. A time capsule, 100%. <laughs> time for a quick break. Stay with us. And we're back. Like I still listen to that album pretty regularly, honestly. Like, wow, thank you, man. Um, just, I mean, because it's just good. like I still laugh at the last verse on the listening, which I know all the words to, right? Because you know, like the <laughs> like when you say in your peace, Jabon, like I still laugh at that because of the way, <laughs> like you all stuck the landing on so many of those songs, and like I don't know, man. Good, good music just transcends. But I do have a question. It's funny you said that because like you don't listen to stuff. Pooh, I have a question for you. On the Minstrel Show, which I kind of view as y'all De La Soul is dead, because y'all seem really pissed while making some of the stuff on this album, even though those skits are some of the best ever. On this album, Pooh, you make the song Sincerely Yours. I walk with the swag of a letter, man. No amateur here, I'm a veteran. You couldn't find many more who was better than Big Pooh when he rocking the mic. I always wonder, like, what, made, what compelled you to make that song? Because, like, it sounds, it's genuine, obviously. 
But I'm like, was the was there like a, a significant criticism or just like were people talking like you just weren't that dude at that time? Yeah, this this was this was the early days of I don't want to say trolling, but uh, <laughs> this was the early days on the internet uh, on message boards. So when we put out the listening, you know, the album was lauded. You know, people loved it. It was critically acclaimed, but there was also a faction of. And of course I found them, but there was a faction of people that, you know, didn't necessarily like me. Right. They didn't like my fit within the group. Or I think the the misconception people have about groups is you got to have two Fontes, right. Or two tips, you or know, two, or, or two or, prodigies or two prodigies. Exactly. Yeah, like you groups don't work that way. You know what I'm saying? Like you need different parts. You need people to fill different spaces within the group. And more, most importantly, you need the personalities to work with each other. So I'm seeing the comments and I'm seeing people, you know, questioning why I'm in the group and that, you know, that hurt. Right. Like that. That was, you know, I'm proud of this thing we did. I'm proud of this album we made. I've, I've given my. 125%. I gave everything I had to give. And then you have this type of response. And that hurts, even though it doesn't come from within your group. I don't know how to take this criticism from the internet yet, right? I don't know how to brush this off. I don't know how to just, ah, that's just a few people. And to be honest, I mean, none of us did because the internet at that time. It was new. It, it was new. It's particularly in the space that we were using it. You know what I mean? Right. It was very new. And, you know, when we were coming up, I couldn't log into a message board and hit Q-tip and be like, yo, Midnight Marauders was garbage. You know what I'm saying? Like, we didn't have, <laughs> right. we didn't have that access. So this was something that we were all figuring out at the same time. Right. And so the listening, we each had a solo song. So we wanted to continue that. And um, as we were working, and knife was making beats and I was I would go to his house sometimes because sometimes that's how you had to get the fresh beats is you had to be there when he was making them. So he was working and he and I heard him working on the beat and he was like, yo, I got something for you. And when I heard it, I knew exactly what it was going to be. And it was that I wanted to take that moment to address how I was feeling, you know, and after coming off of the listening. So, I mean, that's how I approached the whole minstrel show. But that was my time, my song to actually really address it. So it was a thing. Um, like I said, a, a lot of it was not understanding the uh, what we were entering with the Internet and people being able to uh, respond uh, in real time to things. And and not, I guess, for me, not taking everything. So per I, I was taking it personal. You know what I mean? Like I took it per very personal. And over time, you learn not to take these things personal. It's just, you know, everybody's not going to like you. Everybody's going to think, oh, if you replace this guy with this person, then it's going to work. And 20 years later, I know that's not how things work. <laughs> that's that's not how it works at all. Listen, if Prize had a very prominent space in the Fuji's and it worked and they can't exist Listen. without him, then there ain't no group that can exist without they <laughs> that can't exist Facts. without it. 
Facts, man. Because let me Facts. tell you, I had a whole argument with somebody about whether or not the Fugees could have existed without Prize. I'm like, nah, his voice was too, it was too heavy. It brought it too, too much. Distinct. Yeah, it yeah. Too, it brought so much by just being there. It didn't matter if he, and he didn't have anything to say. He didn't. I mean, Prize, <laughs> nobody would ever call Prize a good rapper. And I love Prize. But even, even beyond that, you had no idea what role he played in the group in behind the, group. the scenes. Exactly. You know, yeah. he could have been the glue. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, effectively, listen, I, I always go back to Zealots where Wyclef had like his probably his best verse ever mm-hmm. where he's talking about the magazine says the girl should have went solo. Guys should mm-hmm. stop rapping. Like I was like, this verse literally nailed the whole dynamic of everything they were going through. Why? The magazine says the girl should have went solo. The guy should stop rapping. Vanish like a noodle. I always wanted I. I'm so glad you're here because I always wanted to ask that question. All right, we're going to take one more break here and then we're going to come back and I want to talk about the documentary here on Dear Culture. All right, we're back here on Dear Culture with Little Brother and we're talking about the listening 20 years in the game since their debut album, the influential, the impactful, uh, the listening dropped. But you all have a project coming out. I don't know when. A year ago to the date that we're recording this, you all dropped the trailer for the May the Lord Watch documentary, which is about Little Brother. And I was just like, dog. All I wanted was my favorite rapper to get back together. To say I'm a Little Brother fan would be uh, an understatement. That's the best, bro. That's one of my favorite verses in the entire fucking history of rap. Yeah, I got some things to say about Little Brother. They're underground legends. One thing that y'all have always had that I genuinely think keeps y'all in both the consciousness and like as, as a part of all these conversations is the drama that existed between y'all and Ninth. Will they, won't they come back together? This documentary, I'm guessing is going to address in some way kind of all of that stuff, it seems like. Everything, everything. All right. So everything. why make the documentary? Why now? And it's been a year since y'all dropped that trailer and ain't been nothing since. In making the documentary, anybody tell you like one of the hardest things that the the, the biggest thing to uh, find is finding out what the story is. And, um, you know, for us and again, I talk about this <laughs> during our live show uh, for us. It was a moment, you know, we started this. We started shooting in 2018. Um, we, we started this in 2018 and um, it was very much a thing of just, OK, let's start shooting. Let's. We just was very running guns. Like, all right, let's shoot this and let's talk about this album. Let's talk about this show. Let's talk about, you know, this record deal. Let's talk about, you know, uh, you know, the time we went to London and did this or whatever. Um, but then the pandemic hit and that was when we kind of realized like, oh, we're going to have to actually talk about ourselves in this shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, like yeah. We're going to have to actually, you know, talk about, you know, the things that made us uh and also you know some of the things that broke us as well and uh it's been like five years you know that we've been like working on it and uh really during when COVID hit that just gave us the time to really sit and unpack a lot uh me and Pooh had time to just sit and really repair our brotherhood uh I mean we had repaired it you know in terms of working through made a lot watch and making the album um, and, and we definitely was, was that certainly was a healing journey for us. But uh, when COVID hit and when quarantine hit and we were in lockdown, that really gave us the time to just unpack everything. And you had that, nothing but time to talk. Yeah. And, yeah, and you couldn't, and you couldn't run. You couldn't hide. You know what I mean? So 
so that shows up in the doc as well. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of uh, where it's at with it. And um, we talk about everything. We, we talk about everything. It don't make no sense uh, for us to tell our story and like be half-assing about it. So um, we, we talk about all of that, the drama, the beef, uh, everything. We talk about it. Time for a quick break. Stay with us. Are y'all all good now? I don't know if that's a, I don't know if you can answer that question, but like the three of you all, are y'all all good at this point or nah? For me, well, Tay and, Tay and I are great. <laughs> well, clearly y'all are fine. I mean, listen, he just, he just spent the minute talking about how y'all got it all out on the table and worked through all that stuff. So y'all are clearly good. For me, and I, I can only speak for myself, um, you know, and, and I think the documentary will come out and it will talk about all of this in detail. Uh, but you know, for me personally, uh, I just got to a point in my life where I was able to, with ninth, uh, I was able to accept him and love him, uh, for the work that we did together and for the legacy that we left. And, um, you know, and he's someone that, you know, I always have love and respect for, um, just in terms of his genius for what he did and, um, just for his, uh, you know, for him really being a pioneer in terms of just being a, 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 a producer that was using software at a time when not many mainstream producers were doing that, you know, when everyone else was just NPC or, uh, you know, or whatever, you know, ASR or whatever, he was, you know, making beats on a computer and, you know, he was ridiculed in many ways for that. Um, and so, you know, I always have love for just that pioneering spirit and for the way that we were able to change each other's lives. Um, but uh, I'm just at a point now where I realized that that was a part of our journey and then our journey has just come to an end. And um, and I say that with no animosity or no bitterness or anything. It's just sometimes in life, people just go in different directions and uh, that's where I'm at with it. And I can accept that. So, um, so me and while me and Pooh, are good and are in each other's lives uh ninth and i are not in each other's lives but from where i sit we're also good because there's clarity you know what i mean so that's where i'm at with it who tay and i tay and i are great all right listen <laughs> my man said my man my man said it all right my man said if i can't say nothing if i can't say nothing right. i ain't gonna listen, say nothing at all. i look forward to the documentary i'm very I am very much looking there. there there's there been very few documentaries I've been looking forward to in the way that I'm looking forward to this one. Last question before we move on, before we get to the, the last, my favorite last segments. But what do you all view as your legacy in hip hop at this point? We've always been unapologetically us in the process, whether that was making music, interviews, to our detriment or to our benefit. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we've always right. just been us. Yeah, it, it didn't matter. Like, and, I, and all we did was just take what we, you know, saw from Tribe and Daylight and Jungle Brother, you know, and, and those artists that we listened to um, down to the UGKs and, the, yeah. you know, the Outkast and whatever. Souls of Mission. Far side, yeah, so yeah. many, so many groups. And and that's just what we aim to do. Y'all had a very human story. Like, it's got breakups. It's got people getting back to you. Like, it's it's human, right? Not in, like, it wasn't, it's not like a catalog full of trapping you know, like we just sell it. We selling drugs for 30 years. You know what I'm saying? Or, you know, we still on the exact same block. It's got growth. It's got all that other stuff. So I understand like y'all put yourself out there. People are going to people are going to respond to that in that kind of way. All right. We're going to take one more break. We'll come back. We're going to do my favorite segments here. Dear Culture. 
All right, we're back here, Dear Culture, and we're sitting here with Fonte and Big Pooh from Little Brother. I've said it many times already, one of my favorite rap groups of all time. One of my favorite segments here at Dear Culture, what we do to end the show, is we do a black fashion and black mendation. We start with the black fashion, which is, which is a confession about your blackness. Something people will be surprised to know about you because you're black. Do you okay. all have a black fashion to share? Yes, I have a black fashion to share. I have a black fashion to share. I do not know nor do I care to know, to learn how to play spades. What? You almost made me cuss. You don't know how to play I, spades. I don't care, dog. Yo, so for me, like, I, I don't care. I, like, I just don't. So for me, I, cards have never really been my thing. Um, But, you know, when I would play, I mean, Uno, I, give me Uno over spades all day. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, if Uno is the supreme card game for me. Um, The thing with spades was that I just remember... Like my family would play and they'd be at the table playing and they'd be at the table playing and like I'd be in the living room or I'd be in the den or whatever watching TV. And, you know, I'd watch like two, three episodes of something or, or whatever, watching the Smurfs or whatever the hell. And like I would go in the kitchen and they would still be playing. And I was just like, oh, my God, like this is the same game. Like this is like that's not fun to me. Like, you know what I mean? Like I don't want to be. You know what I'm saying? Stuck at a table with you people for like three hours, like on one game. Like that was also my thing for Monopoly, kind of. Like it was just, this is way too long to the point to even be entertaining. You know what I mean? So for me, oh, no, man. I just like Uno because Uno was quick. You know what I'm saying? You knew what it was. It's just either you, hey, somebody put that draw four down. Hey, you picking up four. Like, it's it's what it was. Spades just seemed extremely just labor intensive and uh, just, it just does not seem like a gratifying game to me at all. And I have no desire to learn how to play it. And black people, I'm sorry, but fuck that game. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta say, bro. I am genuinely surprised that you don't know how to play spades. Uh, I, 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 that, that you caught me by surprise now. But you seem like the kind of dude that know how to play spades. Nah, but, but, I, but to be fair, like I said, I'm just not a card player. Like I remember in the dorm, you know, sometimes the homies would play some tonk. You know what I mean? And tonk was a little too. better because it was. Tonk is how you get money for lunch, though. You, you got to play tonk for lunch money. money. Right. Yeah. You get money. So I run a little tonk in there. That was cool, but. I, I, I'm not really much of like a card player or a gambler in that regard. Up until recently, as I've tried to make changes to my life and my <laughs> diet, uh, I didn't really take to watermelon, man. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna ride I'm with you a, on that. I'm gonna ride with you on that. I got you. Yeah, I got you. On that. Watermelon really wasn't my. Like I, I remember we were in a, we were at Roskill Festival. And we were backstage. Fam. Okay. Yeah. And the lady was like. Roskill Festival. This is in Denmark. In Denmark. So we're not just around white people. We are around extra white people. Like extra white people. Prime white. Yeah. Vikings. Yeah. 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 It's so we back there and they like, oh, we have fruit. We have watermelon. And they said it all excitedly. And I was like. I don't even like watermelon. What you talking about? Yeah. And everybody was everybody with us looked at me like, what? You don't like yeah. watermelon? Nah, I don't I don't do watermelon. And so that that's I, I just recently really started eating watermelon. <laughs> like, and I'm tolerating watermelon. <laughs> I, I gotta say, 
oddly, this is both on brand and surprising. Like this sound like skits from the Mister Show that y'all forgot to put on there. But it also like it's like on brand, but it also surprises me at the same time. This is this is brilliant. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yeah, but I'm with you on watermelon, bro. I never. I. I mean, I can eat it, but it never was the thing for me. I mean, we would eat it in the summer, and like my grandma would cut it. She would put salt on hers. You know what I'm saying? So I, I remember it, but nah, I'm not a watermelon fan like that. Yeah, I can you, eat it, but it's not a thing. Yeah, you you put a spread of fruit out on the table. Watermelon lasts. Watermelon would be like, unless it's some honeydew melon or cantaloupe. cantaloupe. Yeah, then, listen, then listen. I'll go to the watermelon. <laughs> but <laughs> that, that I love watermelon. Tire, yeah. get that all the way out of here. I'm good on it. <laughs> I eat watermelon in front of white people, and I play spades with my community. Hey, so, I love it. You know. I love it. <laughs> all right. This, look, this is my opportunity to prove that black people are not a monolith. We say that all the time. We're not a monolith. And Definitely my black not. questions always prove that. Yeah, to man. to be a palate cleanser for all this, we also ask folks <laughs> to share a black recommendation, which is a recommendation by for and about something black, something you're interested in, something you got going on, something that's for the community. Do you have a black recommendation? Pooh, let's start with you. You got a black recommendation? Oh, man. Do I? Uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I guess I'm reading Raekwon's from Staircase to Stage. <laughs> like I'm reading. Yes, Raekwon has a book. Yeah, it is a good book. Yeah. Actually, I enjoy yeah, that book. The entire Wu Tang suite of books are actually really good. You guys' book is amazing. Like, I'm actually. I'm. I got to get that one next. I saw that one. That's next. So. I went from the Wu-Tang series on Hulu to now I'm reading the Wu-Tang books. <laughs> so that, that, that'd probably be my Listen, black recommendation. Got, you guy became one of my favorite members of the group after reading his book. I'm I like, knew. dude, you got like, you guy got like the most interesting life. Like the rest of these guys, you guy was like, like in them streets. Like you yeah, got yeah, was yeah. in them streets. <laughs> it's like that, 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 that series don't really tell the full story. Like you guy was like, were you the plug? Like, were you the connect? So, <laughs> right. But, right. but the crazy thing is when uh, I was in Atlanta at an A3C one year and they headlined one night and I went back to the hotel that they were staying in because they, they had food. They were serving food at the restaurant. And also all, all of them were, well, most of them were in the lobby. And as they were walking through, you could kind of tell that's when you really tell you God, like who you God really is. Like not on the stage because he was kind of directing things, and I was like, "Huh, you got got a little bit more to him than you oh, think absolutely. he does." Yeah. Like, and that was the moment I noticed that. So seeing the show and then hearing about the book, it just it makes it all make sense. Yeah, definitely recommend that book too. All right, uh, Tay, what you got? Oh, Black recommendation. Well, it's crazy that he said you know the Raekwon book because my my black recommendation was going to be the Wu-Tang series um like straight up <laughs> it was going to be the Wu-Tang series uh I just um in terms of just ensemble cast I really do think that it is a very underrated show and it is has one of the best black ensemble cast working on TV right now like 
everybody is killing it um they are all just like killing their roles i think in particular this third season i think all the actors have had a chance to really grow into their roles i really uh like um oh my god ashton uh more with him as rizza i think he's really grown into that role now and he feels a lot more natural i think early in earlier seasons sometimes like the voice was a little robotic and it was a little you know funny but this season like he he nails it uh the brother, I, I don't want to forget the name. The brother that plays Divine is like killing that shit. Shamik is like, he is yep. Ray Kwan. Like he is He's killing right. it as Ray. He is <laughs> killing it, right. son. You know what I'm just saying? Like he, I mean, he is killing Ray. Uh, uh, the, uh, uh, TJ Adams is killing it, this old dirty bastard. Like everybody's showing up. My brother Marcus Callender as uh, Divine, I'm mean, not Divine, as uh, Power is killing right. it. Um, and, uh, it's just something that, you know, like my wife, like she watches and she wasn't even a fan of Wu-Tang, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, she just watches the show. And, uh, so it works for someone that was not a fan. The story is strong enough, but also if you were a fan, like literally after every episode, I listened to some Wu-Tang, like the, the liquid, the liquid swords episode, like I ran liquid swords that entire day. The Cuban links app, I ran Cuban links, the dirty app, like it's just, you know what I mean? It it really for a fan as someone that just grew up on that group and just uh just had and has just so much love for them. It really is. Um, I, I think they really did a beautiful job of just documenting that story and uh just also giving us fan service as well. So um yeah, the Wu Tang joint on on Hulu, man. I I, I love that show. And, and one more black recommendation. One more. All right, what you got? Go stream and purchase the Daylight Catalog. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Go stream and purchase the Daylight Catalog. Period. Them brothers own that now, and definitely go do that for the for the good brothers Daylight. So yeah, rest in peace, plug too. You know what I'm saying? That was you know our big brother. So um, one hundred percent. Time for a quick break. Stay with us, and we're back. You mentioned earlier, Daylight Soul is Dead being one of your favorite albums of all time Fonte that is my favorite album bar none of all time I still remember where I was when I heard it the first time mm -hmm. like I was on a bus in Germany I grew up in a military base in Germany and I remember yeah, yeah, hearing yeah. that just like all good stories a young lady I was interested in had the De La Soul tape and was like you should listen to this it changed my life yeah. and um on the Wu-Tang the Wu-Tang uh doc uh, uh show I actually this is my black fashion I actually wasn't a Wu-Tang fan mm -hmm. like ever now, part of that is because one of my boys was too much of a Wu-Tang fan. And he would only play Wu-Tang. He's the only one with a car. So he would be the, he would only let us listen to Wu-Tang in his car. So I kind of couldn't stand Wu-Tang Clan. Watching this show has made me appreciate them in a way that I haven't done in years. So now yeah. all I've been listening to is Enter the 36. Like, that's all I've been listening to for, like, the past two weeks. Just, I can't stop playing this album. And I'm yeah. so mad at myself for not appreciating it back in the mid-90s because I just got tired of hearing ODB in the car, yeah. but yeah. And I mean, listen, it was, I mean, let's be clear. I mean, Wu-Tang was something that, you know, a lot of people just don't, I don't think they get now, but you know, it sounded like nothing. I mean, it, it kind of took a minute to get my head around, you know, I I'm a Southerner, buying... by the way, I'm from down South. So, you know, we me, was in me too. Right. We, right. We was in on West coast and Southern stuff, which sounded way cleaner and way better. Yeah. Like, and you know, even for East coast rap and what East coast rap was at that time, Wu-Tang sounded like nothing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you had nine guys, you know, talking, you know, you know, you know, 5%, 
you know, lingo, which was a whole, you know, talking mathematics and all that, which was a whole nother thing to cipher. Then they had all these aliases and then it had like these Kung Fu skits in between it. And then Rizzo used like the same break like three, four times. And it was just dirty. And like, I mean, it, it was, it really was revolutionary. You know what I mean? So when you yep. say you weren't a fan, like I, I understand because it kind of took my head. It took me a minute to get my head around it uh, as well. Yeah. Well, Brothers, I appreciate you all's time. Thank you so much for being here. Where can people find little brother, uh, Pooh, Tay? Where can they find what y'all got going on? How can people keep up with the the little brother legacy as it's being written? Obviously, you can you can catch us on Twitter and uh, and uh, Instagram. Um, we both have our own personal pages. I'm rapper Big Pooh on Twitter and Instagram. He's uh, Fontigolo on Twitter and Instagram. And then uh, we have Little Brother NC on Twitter and Instagram. And then you can go to littlebrothernc.com, which is our website. And we have the store. Tour dates, yeah, like everything. That's kind of the base um, for, for everything, littlebrothernc.com. But like Pusey, we're also active on social as well. You can check us there. All right. Well, look, thank you all so much for being here on Dear Culture. This is truly like uh, I appreciate you all. Like as fans of the group, just as people and following y'all journey and, and wondering where it's going and, and being a part of all of it through the music and all that stuff. Uh, thank you for everything you all have given to the culture, given to hip hop, given to, I mean, and even the work you all have going on now, like, like I said, Quest Love Supreme is my favorite podcast. I listen to that thank like you, religiously. That thank joint modest, you, that should be a college course on music. Just listening to these people tell these stories and all this stuff. That's how um, it feels for me. Every, every episode, I'm just like, well, it's time for me to go to class. You know, and, and Pooh, I got to give you credit for this. The song Zone Out introduced me to Free Design, which mm. I had never heard of before. That beat, for one, I think that's the beat every rapper needs in their life. That beat is so perfect. <laughs> so when you were spinning, I, I love that song. Like, that song Thank is you. amazing. But that, I was like, man, I, this need to be the greatest remix of all time. You need to get everybody, everybody and mama want to rap over that song. <laughs> that was so good. Um So you all have brought things individually as a group, as a culture, and it's all appreciated. So thank you so much. Thank you for being here on Dear Culture. Uh, Dear Culture is an original podcast of the Real Black Podcast Network. It is produced by Sasha Armstrong and Regina Griffin is our managing editor of podcasts. Uh, I am Panama Jackson. Have a black one. Come look at what Michael Harriet just posted. Black Twitter, come get your man. This man's got no chill, and I love it. It's his podcast episodes for me. I was today years old when I found out Michael Harriet had a podcast. Subscribed. I'm world-famous white peopleologist Michael Harriet, and this is The Grio Daily. He goes off, too, on white supremacy, politics, and the erasure of our history. South Carolina was a majority black state. Just think about what would happen if all of those enslaved people rebelled at once. No trolls, no cap, just facts. I don't have any evidence 
that good cops exist. Nah, we need the police. I feel you, but let them cook. Every single police officer works for an institution that was founded in the beginning to oppress black people. How am I just learning this? I'm telling you, this man knows his history, like our real history. Not the whitewash stuff. Let's talk about the other Thomas Jefferson that no one ever talks about, right? By any measure, he was a racist. Why weren't we taught this? We gotta find the real tea for ourselves. Every black child in America lives in a separate country than the white privileged children. When Michael spits the truth, he helps us understand it. Plus I can use it to shut down the Karens. You have to study white people because they are the ones who created all of these disparities. He's the real deal. And his podcast is wising us up. That's right, the Black Twitter King has a podcast. Like the man said, no trolls, no cap, just facts. The Griot Daily with Michael Harriet every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on the Griot Black Podcast Network and accessible wherever you find your favorite podcasts.